Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello and welcome to episode 227 of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali, and it's my pleasure to interview Ian Kerner about his new book. So tell me about the last time you had sex, laying bare and learning to repair our love lives during this episode. Before I tell you more about our conversation, I wanted to personally invite you all to attend my masterclass. Next couple of weeks, I'm hosting three master classes. The title is Tired of Leftover Sex, The Roadmap to Changing Your Sex Life with Your Spouse. Because one of the very common challenge that many of my uh, listeners and also clients have, that they feel that they're stuck in a dead relationship. They don't feel like they find their partner desirable. They don't have satisfying sexual experiences. So if that's you, you want to attend this free masterclass. In this masterclass, we're going to talk about sexual boredom. We're going to talk about the main source of sexual dissatisfaction in long-term relationships. And we're going to talk about how you can tackle these problems. Anyhow, as I mentioned, our guest is Ian Kerner. I interviewed Ian a few months ago in our show, and I was so excited to hear that he he was launching this new book. I got advanced copy. I read all through it in my uh, week off, which which is so wonderful. I highly recommend his book. Again, we're going to talk about the content more, but during the interview, we talked about how you can access your erotic depth. We're going to talk about how you can cultivate arousal with touch with your partner. So lots of juicy, really good, actionable suggestions that Ian shared with us. I don't think Ian needs our introduction, but a little bit about him. He's a licensed marriage and family family therapist and nationally recognized sexuality counselor who specializes in sex therapy, couple therapy, and working with individuals on a range of relational issues. Ian is a New York Times bestseller author, She Comes First, which has been translated into more than a dozen languages. You can read his full bio in the show notes. And I have another exciting news for you. We are giving away five hard copies of his book. In order for you to enter for the giveaway, make sure you're listening all the way to the end. During the outro, I'll give you a specific instructions on how to enter and I hope you'll be as lucky as I am and uh, you'll get one of the copies all right here's my conversation with Ian Kerner hello and welcome to another episode of sexology podcast I am so excited and honored to have Dr. Ian Kerner back on our show Ian welcome to our show thank you it's great to be back I'm very excited I am very very excited too I was just sharing with you that generously you sent me the advanced copy of your book and I loved it so the book called so tell me about last time you had sex I think it was a great book it's, it is a great book and when I read it I loved it and one thing that 
that you might, we haven't talked about you, so you don't know about it, is I remember you talked about you asking your couples about last time they had sex during the talk that you gave in New York, I think that was a year and a half ago. And you dropped that gem and I picked it up (laughs) and it helped me a lot. Great, great. Well, to me, you know, I don't know about you and your practice, but when patients come in, they've usually waited five years too late by the time they come in, right? So whatever is going on in their sex lives, it's been building up and building up. And um, people want a solution or they want hope or they want to believe that things can be different. And so I feel like I've had to develop a, a process that that helps provide hope as quickly as possible. You know, it's like this week, I uh, truly, I had a bad tooth and I had to get an emergency root canal because I was in pain. And the first thing the doctor said is, oh, I'm going to get you out of pain, you know, and there's still a lot of work that has to be done because the tooth is not a, a perfect tooth. But getting me out of pain was so important. And I feel like couples come in and they're, they're in pain. And if I could start to get them out of pain, then, then that's, that's why I'm, how I'm doing my job. And so asking that question, so tell me about the last time you had sex, It's actually the best way I know of getting them out of pain because every sexual event is a story. It has a beginning, middle, and an end. It has a a sequence of interactions that are behavioral, that are psychological, that are emotional, that have a beginning, middle, and an end. And it's a sex script. And if our sex scripts work, great. But if they don't work, then they're reinforcing the problems that we're coming in with. And so for most couples who are coming in, they have ways of having sex or sex scripts that are reinforcing and perpetuating the problem that they're experiencing. So by asking that question and thinking about it through a lot of different lenses, I learn about their sex script and then I help them rewrite their sex scripts so that it's not reinforcing the problem. It's moving them towards pleasure. Well, you know, I know in the book you talked about it, like you being a detective, like Sherlock Holmes going to the scene. (laughs) And I think that's very powerful because before I was asking people like their usual routine. And I feel like you don't get the whole whole story because people, they just like tell you at times what they want to have or the sex they remember. But when you ask them about the last time, first, you kind of like help them to kind of like center themselves and kind of like think about what do I want to kind of what what's the reality is in this relationship? Because sometimes people cannot even recall. That's right. A lot of people come in. They it's funny sometimes because I'll ask a couple to tell me about the last time you had sex. And from the beginning, they can't even agree on the actual time. They'll say, oh, it's Saturday. No, it's Thursday. No, it's two weeks ago. It's a month ago. It's a year ago. And then I know we're on, we're in for a roller coaster because if you can't even agree on the time you had, when you had sex, you're definitely not going to agree on what happened. But also the reason I, I say that it's a little like being Sherlock Holmes, and I'm sure you can relate to this, is sexual problems can sometimes be a mystery. And they're determined by a number of different uh, factors, right? There could be physical factors, there could be psychological factors, there could be relational factors, there could be cultural and generational and economic factors. 
So when somebody comes in, even with a problem that seems very apparent, oh, I can't gain and maintain an erection, or oh, I can't have an orgasm. And you ask them, well, why do you think that is? The first thing that most people are going to say is, I don't know. They're disconnected from, they know what's happening, but they're disconnected from the why. And so that's why also it is like detective work, because we are solving a mystery that a patient is presenting that they don't know very much about. And you know what I found interesting and really resonated with me was when you kind of talked about it as a script, like a story that like, and I, I think like for many people, the struggle is, is the beginning of the story, build up of the story, which we're going to talk about. But what if people are not interested in the story, never been interested in the script for different reasons they are in the relationship? Is it is there a way for people to have a spark in the in this kind of sexually with their partner if they never been into the partner like sexually? Oh, right. So we're really I think the question you're asking me is sort of about attraction, right? Is it like, workable if there there has never been attraction? Well, I can answer that question. I'll, I'll offer. I mean, let's have a conversation about it. I'll offer a response and maybe maybe tell me what you think, you know. I think um, sometimes couples pick each other and all they had was attraction. They had so much sexual chemistry or so much physical attraction and they weren't really thinking about other dimensions that might go into the relationship. And sometimes, unfortunately, people are picking without that sense of attraction. Uh, they think, oh, it's not important. I have so many couples who come in and say, well, I had that earlier and it was exhausting. And I just wanted stability or I just wanted friendship or security. And so they sort of left the sexual part of themselves out of the picture, right? So that's not good either. So if you're in a relationship and your sexual self is kind of lost, I would like to try and help couples find it. I believe that everybody has a shot. And it's kind of like we need to introduce your sexual selves to each other. They might not have been apparent at the very beginning, but here you are. You've picked each other nonetheless, and you're in my office. So it's kind of like a play date between children. Can we create a nice playground where we can get these children playing? I think it's a lot harder because I think there is something about sex and attraction that it's, it's physical, it's chemical, it's intuitive, it's unconscious and conscious. It's magical and scientific. And so it certainly helps if you have that initial um, attraction. If my wife wasn't so cute, I don't know that we would have made it through. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't so attracted to her. I don't know that we would have survived a lot of the uh, ups and downs that we've had to experience as a uh, parents and partners. Well, I absolutely can relate to what you're saying with kind of with couples that they had it once and they lost it. So there was initial attraction, which I see with many long-term couples that they're like long-term relationship, the spark, sometimes people lose the spark. I think that's something that's, I've seen it get rekindled. People can kind of find each other sexually, find themselves to each other sexually. So I think that's, I've seen that many times. What I it's at times I've seen it's harder if it's not they're not attracted to each other and they have this kind of psychological rigidity about what sex needs to be. Right. So I think that can be problematic then. Right. So, you know, you're right that sex is this like merging of bodies, touching and curiosity and, uh, and attraction really, I guess, is also curiosity. 
in the other person, you know, and, uh, and I think you have to expand your definition of attraction. You know, for example, I work with a lot of couples who felt the spark, and then they lost it, and they don't believe that they can recreate it. So they have to go and cheat or have affairs or, you know, and they think, well, the only way I know how to experience attraction is by being attracted to something new. So if you don't have that physical attraction, or if that attraction went away, I would argue that there's still opportunities to create psychological attraction and mind-based arousal between the two of you. And that rather than leading with the body, you can lead with the mind and let the body be a passenger. You let the mind drive but then the body might become like a, a very active passenger, like a backseat driver, you know? I like that. And I think uh, one thing that I really appreciate about your book that you talked about physiological arousal and psychological arousal. And most people that coming in to, at least in my practice, they know how sex works. <laughs> Just a matter of like, if they're struggling, there's not a necessarily buildup of kind of good, good beginning of the story. There's not enough psychological arousal. And some people, they don't even know what what works for them. So how can people access that kind of like the erotic template or how can they build up the psychological mm-hmm. arousal? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you said something interesting right at the start, which is um, they're not building up arousal. So that's acknowledging already that there's a place in the sex script to build up arousal, right? And many couples, especially heterosexual couples, You know, if I were to ask almost 100% of the heterosexual couples I've worked with about the last time they had sex, did you have intercourse, penis and vagina intercourse, or did you attempt to and it didn't go well? 100% of couples would say, yes, we tried, we did, or we tried to. And then if I asked, well, how long did it take before you got to intercourse? From the moment you started to what, initiate, get undressed, get in bed, to the intercourse, how much time? What do you think most people say? I know my clients say like five, two to five minutes. <laughs> so two to five minutes, right? That's about what my heterosexual patients. I say heterosexual because certainly queer, gay and lesbian couples don't have the same feeling that they have to rush to intercourse so they can engage in other activities along the way. And I talk a lot about that in the book. So if you're only allowing two to five minutes before you're trying to get to direct genital to genital stimulation, you're not allowing any arousal to build up, really, whether it's physiological or psychological. So I think the first thing is just acknowledging that we have to appreciate this kind of warming up period and simmering period and letting sexual cues and sexual feelings really start to percolate in our bodies. And I think mind-based stimulation is a very, very powerful way of doing it, right? Because if you just take a sex script and you just look at it at a series of behaviors or interactions, that's not very exciting. It's the meaning, it's the psychological meaning. And, you know, I work with women who can fantasize and get so aroused that they almost have orgasms. I can give an assignment to a man to fantasize or think about something really sexy or watch some really sexy porn without ever touching themselves, and they can get erections, right? So that's completely mind-based arousal that we're doing with ourselves, like when a guy sits down to watch porn or a woman to watch porn or to fantasize. But why aren't we generating that mind-based arousal with each other if it so powerfully leads to physiological arousal? 
Right. I feel like definitely shame is part of it. The other piece is like people have this script that they like a like a movie they watch so many times that they know what comes next and you're almost checked out. Who like even your favorite meal, if you're having it like, I don't know, 400 times, <laughs> then right. it might not be as present. Right. So I love right. that in the book, you have this wonderful kind of tangible kind of exercises can people do to kind of explore this kind of world of eroticism. I think that's that's very powerful because I think sometimes people thinking about improving their sex life is about changing their physiological arousal. It could be, but I think the big part of it, at least the people that I see, they can even do the things that they're doing, but like they can kind of incorporate different mindsets or they build up the psychological arousal to have a different experiences. I agree. I mean, you talked about sort of if you have 400 meals, it's going to lose its you know flavor, but especially if those 400 meals never contain certain ingredients and never had certain spices, then you're never going to experience, you know, then you only know one kind of a meal that you've eaten 400 times. So, yeah, I focus a lot on people cultivating their erotic self, letting themselves open up to erotic themes, letting themselves open up to fantasies. You know, in the very first session that I have with a patient and your listeners can try this at home, is I say, instead of thinking about the sexual problem that you're experiencing, what is the solution? Oh, well, the solution would be way more foreplay or way more romance or way more kissing, or I'd love more oral sex, or I'd really like to try some power play, or yeah, I do have this kind of kinky fantasy about, you know, the way my somebody could look or dress up. And they start to talk about that in my office and they're describing not the problem anymore. They're describing the solution. And then I'll start to like uh, support that and get them to thicken that up and make it really sexy. And so by the time they've left my office in the first session, they've actually shared a fantasy of the sex that they want to be having with each other. And so that's the start for some couples of starting to open up that conversation. And, you know, some people will say, oh, I don't know my fantasies, or I'm too embarrassed to share them. So I I distinguish between um, side-by-side mental stimulation and face-to-face. So face-to-face is like you and me, we're two actors on a stage. We're going to create a world just through our imaginations. That's hard, right? I think that's hard for couples to do. But maybe it's easier to read something aloud together or to listen to an erotica podcast or to watch ethical porn or to uh, make up like a sexy daydream or share a sexy dream or something like that. So I try and get couples in the beginning to kind of do it in a more side-by-side way without having to be so confrontational about it. I think that's such a powerful suggestion. I was like, when I was reading the book, I I thought I was brilliant because I think face-to-face, there is a level of intensity and the level of kind of like vulnerability that's like some people are not comfortable to yeah. start from that place but i think side by side you're co-authoring this story and it feels more comfortable at least for people that are at a place that they're struggling absolutely and you know what's interesting is um we are we can be vulnerable sexually with our bodies right like we can make our bodies available in the light of day and open and honest and so we can get our minds to catch up i mean isn't it so interesting that we can bring our bodies often in there. Sometimes we can't. Look, we have self-esteem issues or we're shy or there's some trauma. 
But in, in general, a lot of us think about sex as making our bodies available. It doesn't take too much work to make your minds available, but you have to, it's like putting training wheels on the bicycle. You have to, to start a little slowly. I like that. And I know in the book, you talk about this kind of like leaning into erotica, to porn, to get inspiration, which I 100% agree. And I've, at times I feel like people have shame about it. They feel like if we're leaning into that, that says a lot about our relationship or broken. People have this unrealistic expectation expectation of like my partner is getting undressed and then I I need to be ready, which that's not a reality for many people. Uh, Yeah, I so agree. Like we have these ideas that we should just automatically be able to be aroused very quickly. I mean, men carry that around a lot. And, um, you know, you're right. There is a lot of shame. And I don't know if this is helpful, but, you know, when you think back to your days as children and playing make believe, like we used to I mean, I would say the make-believe that children engage in is much more erotic sometimes than the sex that adults have because they're coming up with these games, you know, doctor and uh, cops and robbers or playing house. And uh, there's always a little bit of a sexual, erotic, playful, creative uh, feeling to that play. And we lose that very quickly. It's taken away from us. It's not it's not nurtured. But it's the same kind of play. Like, it's fun to play with power dynamics or it's fun to pretend to be somebody you're not. Or So again, like, it's in you. I guess everything I'm saying, it's in you. It's in you. It's there. It's probably in your history. It just needs to be reactivated in a safe way. Well, that's certainly very reassuring. I, I, it boosted my confidence <laughs> as we're talking about this. I can imagine for listeners also, it's very meaningful. One of the things that I think is, is helpful that you talked about is kind of like accessing our erotic depth. I feel like many people, because of the busy lives they're living, they're not connected with their kind of erotic energy and they're, they're just not inspired. So how can we increase our erotic depth? Yeah. You know, it's interesting because when I'm talking about sex scripts, I'm usually talking about a sexual event, right? So here was a sexual event last, today's Friday, last Friday, and maybe there's going to be a sexual event tonight. But what happened between those two events? Was there, was there any eroticism in the air? Was it just about being partners, parents, co-managers of life. And so I do think we have to um, decouple eroticism from sex and understand that eroticism can exist in its own right. And a lot of us already have this in our relationships. We can get a little playful, a little frisky, a little uh, jokey, you know, around sex, but it's not always well-received. It's not always cultivated and it's not always expected, but in the end, we miss it. I talk to a lot of people who say, well, of course, we're not having sex because there's nothing leading up to it that feels sexy or erotic. So I think thinking about the space between erotic events is as important about thinking as of the sex script and the sexual event itself. And I think with all things sexual, a little goes a long way, right? So being able to just have a a quick sexy moment with your partner, being able to say something sexy that comes from the heart or from the groin or share something sexy. It doesn't have to be, even when I talk to people about 
fantasies and erotic themes, people sometimes feel overwhelmed. Oh, what do you mean? Like we have to dress up, we have to role play, we have to pretend we're strangers, we have to go to sex toy stores. No, it begins with your own imagination. It's as simple as expressing what's in your head through your mouth. That's the hottest part. You know, uh, if I'm being candid about my own sex life, um, I think I have a very hot erotic sex life with my wife. But it's all based in talking and language, you know, so a little goes a long way, I believe. I agree with you. And I think it's just a matter of kind of leaning into your creative side, as you mentioned, and kind of like thinking about the sexual experiences in a continuum, because people kind of think about, as you said, that's a kind of a single event and they don't have any, even sometimes relationships outside the bedroom is, is bad. I don't know how else I can right. phrase it. It's like they're not... Right to each other respectfully they have tons of kind of like unresolved issues and sometimes they think they wonder why sex is not good it's it doesn't mean like they have to have a perfect relationship but as you said it, it's important to have good enough relationship good enough kind of verbal foreplay for people absolutely. to be open to having good sex absolutely and you know you mentioned sort of so how do you keep eroticism alive you know, every couple that I work with, if I ask them, what's the one thing you want most out of your sex life? What's the, across the board? What's the one thing that you want most? They all almost every single one of them says the same thing. You know what that is? Feeling desired. At least that's what my clients yeah. say. <laughs> yeah. Feeling desired. I want to be desired. I, I want to feel like he really wants me. I want to feel like she really wants me. I want to feel like they really want me. Mm -hmm. They want to take me. They want to eat me up and gobble me up. They want me to be their sex object. They want mm -hmm. to feel that desire, right? Doesn't mean they want to have sex. Doesn't mean they have to have sex, but we all want to feel that desire. And if we decouple that desire from having to be a sexual event, Maybe there's lots of ways in which that desire can get expressed and can stay with us and can make us feel like we're a desired person in our minds. I think that's when so many couples and people get depressed is when they just don't feel desired in their partner's minds. But I could go a month without having sex with my wife. She could feel very desired. Same by me. I can be upset that we're not having sex, but I can still feel desired by her because desire doesn't have to exist coupled with sex. I like that. And I think that's something that many people neglect. They think kind of having good sex is about skills. Like people are sometimes they miss this point of they're thinking about I have to improve my skill, but it's more again, skills are good. Uh, but I think it's more about kind of like really showing up and kind of gaining into that erotic energy and kind of being, being open to let like your partner see that you're desiring them and kind of like really being curious in that dynamic. A hundred percent, hundred percent. Well, uh, tell us about your book. So I'm sure many of our listeners are curious about it. I, I so I just recently took my first flight after a year and a half. I was reading about it on, on it on the plane on the book and I was like vigorously highlighting things. Okay. <laughs> because where where did you stuff. go? Where, 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 where was your first trip in a year and a half? We went to Bryce Canyon, Zanyan Canyon for uh, camping. Nice. So yeah, it was it was wonderful, and I was like, okay, I, I want to read this, and I, and I was kind of anxious because I that was the first time I was wearing mask on the plane. But your book definitely <laughs> helped. <laughs> it took my mind okay. off of the kind of anxiety around 
flying. And I love that, like all of those wonderful, actionable things that you had in the book, because sometimes I feel like some books are wonderful, but it's just more just this about presenting ideas. I think ideas are good, but people need some hands-on activity, which your book offers. I think so. I think so. Like even in couples therapy and sex therapy, we can have a very nice session of talking but what are you going to do between now and the next session, right? I got to give you some homework, right? right? Something to do. So yes, I believe that translating insight into action is very important. And um, you sort of said, what is the book about? Well, it's really about understanding your own sex script. You know, what is your sex script? Most couples have a sex script. Most people have a certain way in which they think sex should unfold. So what is the sex script? And is it working? I think for most people, if they're reading my book, it's because something is is not working in their sex life. And again, so maybe the way in which you're having sex is reinforcing the problem that you're having, not feeling desired, not feeling connected, not having orgasms, feeling pain, not getting erections or ejaculating too quickly, whatever it is. So I kind of give people, I think, I hope a new way of uh thinking about a sexual event, which is as a script. And I walk through because, you know, actually I was uh, prior to becoming a therapist, I always wanted to be a playwright. So Mm -hmm. I loved theater and I loved dramatic structure. And if you look at a play, it has acts, act one, act two, act three, but then there's scenes and each scene is part of an act and it moves the story forward. So I kind of break a sexual event into a series of acts that have a series of scenes. And I talk about really ideally what each scene is sort of about to lead to the next scene. Because sometimes like we're trying to go right from the beginning to the end and we skip the middle or we start in the middle and we miss the beginning or we start at the end and we don't go anywhere. You know, like so I try and break down each element of the phases of a sex script and what people should be thinking about how to initiate desire, what to do when they don't feel desire, what to do when their desire doesn't match up with the partners, how to create arousal, both sensually in the body and psychologically in the mind, how to move from above the waist to above the neck to above the waist to below the waist, the whole thing from beginning to end, I break down and, uh, And I try and give uh, readers a a methodology to build their sex scripts, to rebuild them, to rewrite them in ways that work for them. And then part two of the book is all the different problems that people often have, the common problems and how to adjust the sex script to work with that problem, like erectile unpredictability or orgasm issues. Well, I, I personally appreciate it that you offer different types of scripts because I feel not everyone feel in inspired to kind of look into different options. And I I think that what's good that in every chapter you offer resources. So I think people can navigate this together because sometimes I feel like couples feel like they try a couple things and it's not working and they kind of write off their kind of sexuality in a way with their partner. So I think it's good to know that there are different alternatives. I agree. And I I try and bring in a lot of um, LGBTQ stories as well, because, um, look, I think the vast majority of readers are probably going to be heterosexual couples for, for my books. But heterosexual couples do not have enough sexual resilience. So if they encounter a problem, they either try and solve it one way, which just perpetuates the problem. Or they kind of give up. But because 
LGBTQ couples are sort of already out of that kind of discourse, that heteronormative discourse, they're sort of automatically a little more flexible and creative in their thinking. And because LGBTQ people have dealt with oppression and marginalization around sexual identity and expression, they've often had to struggle harder to be sexual and to have more resilience in the face of obstacles. So I think that heterosexual couples can learn a lot from um, LGBTQ couples. It's interesting because I, as I was looking at statistics for something else, that like, and it, it seems like they have like, I would say heterosexual couples have t- tons of more problems, at, at least based on what I hear with like orgasm gap, all of those things. So, but as, as I'm hearing you talking, I never thought about that. Like maybe there's a more resourcefulness when it comes to sexual experiences and the way of more way of connecting, which help people to have less, less of challenges. Of course, of course, there are people of all genders that at times they struggle. And I think every single person at times they struggle. It's just normal to struggle at times, just a matter of if it's a trend or pattern, then you want to get support around that. Absolutely. I think um, I believe that challenges are opportunities. And that's not just a a soundbite. I've lived that. I've lived with a, a lot of sexual challenges of my own. I have felt uh, at times defeated or hopeless or forlorn, but I've also learned that each of those challenges presents an opportunity to do something new and something different. And that new and different can be just as good as what you thought you were going to do. And it's not what you imagined sex might be, but it's even better in a way than what you imagined it could be. So I really do believe that uh, if we embrace our challenges and constraints, we can really develop new, creative, satisfying sex scripts. And I think I like the idea of like looking at sex as a sex script, something that you can rewrite and edit because as we go through different stages of life, we really need to edit it at times. So what works in the, when you were 20s, then maybe it's not working when you're 60s or 70s. So that's something you can always change and make it work for you. I think that's so true, right? You go through the life cycle and uh, you do change. You change emotionally, psychologically, sexually, your body changes. And with that, we have to adapt. We have to adapt in all phases of life to different kinds of uh, obstacles and issues. And sex is uh, the same thing, right? We can't exercise exactly the same way. It doesn't mean we can't enjoy exercise in the same way. Or uh, Yeah, so I think um, editing your sex script for the life cycle is very true. Well, as I mentioned, I love the book. I think it's amazing. And I'm excited that you will release it soon. So if people are interested to purchase it, what are some of the places that they can find it? Well, I think the best thing is if you go to my website, iankerner.com, you click on the book, it gives you a number of different booksellers. You know, obviously, Amazon is important because it's nice to get good reviews on Amazon. But I also believe in supporting your indie bookstore. And uh, I think the book should hopefully be wherever you want to find it. You might have to wait a day if you have to order it, but it should be there for you. Well, people can find the link to your website in our show notes. Again, thank you so much for coming on the show. This this was a wonderful conversation. And thank you for releasing another book. I was very excited to read it. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you.
I hope you enjoyed our conversation. Again, I loved Ian's book. I can honestly say it was one of the best books I read in last few months, or I can say a year. I get tons of different books because of my show, and most of them are good, but this this was at another level. So as far as our giveaway, five lucky listeners will win hard copy of Ian's book. In order to enter for this giveaway, make sure you are subscribing to this show wherever you're listening to this show. Write us a review in iTunes, Stitchers, whatever platform that you are listening to the show at, and then send me a snapshot of the review to my Instagram account. My account is Sexology Podcast. Direct message me and I will announce the winner on our email newsletter on May 11th. At the end, I also want to remind you to make sure that you're signing up for the masterclass and hopefully I'll meet you in person there. Have a good week. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.